G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Visit ltw.org today to grow in your relationship with Christ. God is the one who always reaching out to us. God is the one who always wants to bless us. God is the one who always trying to pursue us. Strengthen your faith as you watch, listen to, and read sound biblical teaching from Dr. Michael Youssef. New programs and articles are posted daily. Receive encouragement as you hear miraculous stories of God moving here at home and around the world through Vision 2025, a strategic ministry expansion plan to reach as many people as possible for Christ by 2025. Take a quick break and receive spiritual refreshment as you read one of Dr. Yusuf's daily e-devotionals. Everything on ltw.org can be easily shared through email or your favorite social media platform making it easier than ever to tell others about Christ. Visit ltw.org today. Be encouraged and join our global gospel movement. Welcome to Leading the Way, featuring pastor and international Bible teacher, Dr. Michael Youssef. Be on the lookout for Dr. Youssef coming to your community as he expands events around the world to share the gospel of Jesus. Learn more about Dr. Yusuf and the Ministry of Leading the Way when you call 1-300-133-589 or visit ltw.org. Up next on Leading the Way Audio, dive into the 18th chapter of Genesis for a word about faith from the life of Abraham. Here's Dr. Michael Yusuf. If you look at Genesis 18, you're going to find it's a remarkable chapter because all aspects of friendship with God are in this chapter. All evidence of his friendship with God is in this chapter, and yet the word friends or friendship is never mentioned here. <laughs> Look at it with me. Abraham was called God's friends three times in the Scripture, but not in the chapter where evidence of friendship is clear. Three times. The first time is in the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 20, verse 7. Let me set the stage. Israel, this time was Judah, who suffered a great deal from their enemies that had always been harassed by their enemies. They were facing two powerful enemies, the Amorites and the Ammonites, and they were really in terrible danger. And so Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of the people before the temple And he petitioned God, and here's what he said. Listen, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? James 2.23, he said, the Scripture fulfilled in the saying, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. But truly the most powerful, the most amazing passage is found in Isaiah 41.8. Because God Himself, for the first time, God Himself declares that Abraham was His friend. Here it is. 
But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you, descendant of Abraham, my friend. How do you like to be called God's friend? Well, you can be. As a matter of fact, there is a, a key verse here, which is verse 17, that indicates and shows clearly that special friendship. In verse 17, chapter 18, here you see God's friendship so implicit with Abraham. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? You see, that is a, a friend trusted a friend. In fact, God's friendship with Abraham makes it very, very clear that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you have done or have not done, today you can be a friend of God. Today God desires to be your friend. If you are not experiencing the friendship with God at this very moment, it is not because of God's reluctance, but it is because you have allowed a sin or a person or something to come between you and God's friendship. I pray to God today that this will be changed. Look at verses 3 and 4. Abraham opens the door of his tent wide and welcomes the Lord. And the Lord willingly enters and provides friendship and companionship to Abraham. Now, you remember at the very beginning, when Abraham, who lived in what is today modern-day Iraq, when God appeared to him for the first time, and he said to him, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your possessions. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave the near and the dear. I want you to leave everything that is remotely familiar to you. And I want to take you to a land that you don't know. You've never been there before. I'm not only going to show it to you, I'm going to give it to you. And Abraham, the Bible said, by faith, did exactly what God said. And from that moment, God did not deprive Abraham of his friendship did not deprive Abraham of his companionship, and he walked with Abraham. Here the Lord sits with Abraham. What a beautiful picture. The Lord eats with Abraham. The Lord walks with Abraham. Here is a fact. Friends talk to each other. Friends share thoughts with each other. That's why verse 17 is a crucial verse. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? That's what a friend does. He shares, even though God is God and Abraham is a man. But God tells Abraham, confides in him. And God's friendship with Abraham gave Abraham boldness to ask on behalf of his rebellious nephew, Lot, and his family. And God answered his prayer enjoying the Lord's company, sharing secrets with each other, the Lord hearing and answering His intercession. These are all clear indication of a deep friendship. In Genesis 18, obviously, the Lord's appearance this time is different from other times. He did not appear to Him in a dream. He did not materialize as El Shaddai, but the pre-incarnate Christ Himself showed up with two angels, one on each side. And Abraham immediately recognized that these are no ordinary visitors. These are very special people. So, in an act of worship, Abraham would bow down at the feet of the pre-incarnate Christ, as if to say, my Lord, I'm Abraham. I know you know me. And if you're pleased with me, stay with me. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Don't miss this. 
Because I want you to comprehend Abraham's longing for the Lord's companionship. And I believe with all my heart that the Lord will answer that prayer. If you express longing to a true fellowship and friendship with Jesus, He will show it. He will answer it. And then Abraham rises up from worshiping to go into sacrificial mode, bringing his best and offering it as food to these heavenly visitors. Beloved, listen to me. Worshiping and sacrificial giving are the Siamese twins of a Christian discipleship. Because to Abraham, this was not just a lip service. He worshiped, and then he rose to sacrifice. Verses 6 to 8, Abraham springs into action. To Abraham's friendship with God, not lip service, it involved action. It involved a sacrifice. Sarah, too, graciously responds in unity with her husband to honor the Lord. No wonder the apostle Peter In 1 Peter 3, of all the women in the Old Testament, he selects Sarah to illustrate godliness. Listen to me. Sarah was not perfect. Did you hear that? Neither was Abraham. But with resilience, she showed her mettle under pressure of the unexpected. Verses 9 to 12, you see the Lord asks for Sarah by name. And asking for Sarah by name is loaded. It's not that simple. Don't skip through it. He did not say, Abraham, where is your wife? Because he would immediately may have thought at least pointing to the mother of his son whom he wanted to live before God and be the one, Ishmael. God did not want to confuse anybody. (laughs) He's a God of precision. He asked for Sarah by name. Beloved, let me tell you something. Jesus asks and speaks and knows you by name. He calls you by name. He doesn't say, hey there, blondie. (laughs) Hey, you brown eye, come here. He doesn't say, you housewife over there. No, 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 no. He called Zacchaeus to come down from the tree by name. He called Nathaniel by name, and he saw him before he saw Jesus. He called Saul of Tarsus by name on the road to Damascus, and he calls you by name. He knows you by name. He loves you by name, and he cares for you by name. Beloved, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that whenever we forget this fact that God knows you by name, calls you by name, loves you by name, when we forget that fact, it is the cause of most of our troubles. And so in verse 10, the Lord repeats the promise of the coming son by Sarah. Now, those of you who are astute and Following this, we say, now wait a minute, Michael, didn't he just give that promise in chapter 17 in the last message? Yes. But you see, Abraham heard that promise, but he didn't tell Sarah. You say, how do you know that? I'm going to show you in a minute. (laughs) And you see, the Lord knew that Sarah is eavesdropping from inside the tent, and he wanted to make sure that she hears it. And so, in Genesis 17, God prepares Abraham for that supernatural shock. It is a supernatural shock in any way, shape, or form. 
But Abraham did not want to tell Sarah, and we don't know why, probably he didn't want her to have a heart attack. (laughs) And so in Genesis 18, isn't that like our Lord? In Genesis 18, he personally shows up to tell Sarah. (laughs) Verse 12, Sarah just could not fathom that a 90-year-old woman could have a baby. From a human point of view, her reaction is very understandable. It really is. Why Abraham was reluctant to tell her? He's a 99-year-old man looking at his 90-year-old wife, and he said, sugar cup? (laughs) Guess what? We're going to have a baby. As I said, it's enough to give her a heart attack. But instead of a heart attack, she laughs, not knowing that anybody was listening. (laughs) So the Lord asks Abraham. He didn't ask Sarah. I don't miss these things. He asks Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Beloved, I personally think that this is a rebuke to Abraham more than it was for Sarah. Do you know why? For not passing the good news to his wife. Verse 14 is one of the many favorite verses in the Bible. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Can you say that with me? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? And the answer is no. Amen. James tells us that we ask, but we don't receive because we ask wrongly, we ask selfishly, we ask ignorantly. Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? And the answer is no. We're the ones who need to learn the lesson of what to do with what He gives us. You see, when Jesus said, He who is faithful in little, going to be faithful in much, He gives you little and He watches. He sees what you're going to do with it. You see, in the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verse 23, God said to Moses, is the Lord's power limited? In Jeremiah 32, 17, Jeremiah said to the Lord, nothing is too difficult for you. In Luke chapter 1, verse 37, when the angel announced, Gabriel announced to Mary that she's going to have a child, and she said, how can that be? I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man. And he said to her, for nothing is impossible with God. If believers at this time truly genuinely, honestly, believe these words, we would have every church in America to be packed to the hilt, not on Sunday morning, but at prayer meetings. But like all unbelief, always leads to more sin. You see, there's nothing wrong with experiencing some doubt, with momentarily unbelief or disappointment, whatever it is. It's how long you stay there that matters. Because if you don't get out of there, it's going to lead you to deeper sin. And this is what happened here. You see, her laughing did not stop there. Her laugh of unbelief did not stop there. It led her to lying. Unbelief always leads to more sin. She denied that she laughed. But, beloved, listen, don't miss this. As a result of that encounter with the Lord, as a result of that encounter, she became a great woman of faith. No wonder in the book of Hebrews, Epistle to the Hebrews 11, 11, said, By faith Sarah herself 
received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful to his promises. Beginning at verse 16, you see a beautiful picture. It's an absolutely beautiful picture of Abraham walking with the Lord, communing with the Lord, fellowshipping with the Lord, communicating with the Lord. Again, verse 17, the Lord said to Abraham, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Psalm 25, 14 said, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. In the book of Amos, chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secret counsel to His servant, the prophets. And so the Lord confides in Abraham, as if to say, Abraham, my friend, there is a disaster looming on the horizon, and it's in your backyard, Abraham. Sodom and Gomorrah is overgrown with immorality. The cup of iniquity is full to the brim. Judgment is on its way. My patience has run out. The abomination has reached bottom. Let me ask you honestly, have you ever thought, have you ever taken time and think, what is God saying to us? You don't have to be a prophet to answer that question. You don't have to be a seminary graduate. All you need to do is read Romans 1. I have no doubt in my heart that the Lord is saying, my patience is running out. The nation that once honored me now despises me. The nation that once wanted to be a city on a hill now is provoking me with their abomination. The nation in whose pulpits my gospel rung across the world is now preaching falsehoods. The nation who once took the gospel to the ends of the earth and now become so self-centered that they are drunk on entertainment and on self-worship. I have no doubt the Lord is saying that the nation that once fasted and prayed and humbled themselves in repentance in seeking my face and now use my name as a curse word, the nation that once revered my son, is now forbidding his name from being mentioned in public. My beloved friends, God's cup is getting filled to the brim each passing day. I'm actually also convinced that God's judgment already begun. But you know what the saddest part? There's so many believers are totally oblivious to it. God, the Holy Spirit, began to depart from our shores, leaving us to our own devices. God is about to leave us to the consequences of our choices. Look with me, please, at verses 23 to 33. Here you see an incredible level of maturity that Abraham has reached. Ah, we've seen him in Egypt. We've seen him lying. We've seen him fearful. We've seen him angry. We've seen him trying to settle for second best. We've seen him. Thank God the Bible shows us all these characters, put them under a microscope. They don't kind of wash them out and take them to the laundromat and and starch them and cover them with cellophane and place them on a pedestal and say, now you need to be like this. Thank God the Bible doesn't do that. And we've seen him. 
But now we see him reaching an incredible level of spiritual maturity. He had come a long way. Why? Because he immediately began to intercede on behalf of his unsaved family members. Let me ask you this honestly. Let me ask you this. When was the last time did you actually take hold of God? And I'm not talking about a day or two, a week or two, or a month or two, or a year or two, that you have taken hold of God's promises and you never let go. You say, well, Michael, I prayed for a certain period of time and I just uh, uh, think it might not be according to the will of God. How do you know the will of God? Did God tell you not to pray about that? I believe God will answer. And I know I'm putting my neck all the way up there. A prayer for an unsaved child. Because 1 Corinthians 7 said they are sanctified in the believing parents. That means God has a special plan for them. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Can you say that with me? Don't ever give up. If you want to know the level of spiritual maturity, if you want to know the level of your spiritual maturity, measure the time that you spend in prayer on behalf of a lost person. But there's one thing you need to understand about this whole negotiation that Abraham was getting into with God. You know, first 50, 45, 40, 35, it wasn't an auction. It's just a cultural thing. That's all it is. This is just the way how things are done back then. But I hate to tell you, that's how things are done even now. They bargain and negotiate for everything. And that's what Abraham is doing. It's not, nothing really unusual. Let me tell you this as I conclude. There are three things the Lord always does before He withdraws His hand of blessing. Three things. First of all, He holds an inquest on the moral condition before judgment comes. He holds an inquest. Secondly, what He does here, He becomes really accessible to His people's earnest intercession. He's very accessible to you. And the third thing is the faithfulness of the righteous. No matter how small a number, they will make a difference. They will make a difference. God agreed that even if there were ten people in Sodom and Gomorrah, He was not going to destroy it. He went all the way to the bottom, and I guess Abraham in his heart of heart was hoping that at least ten people. But alas, there were no ten people in Sodom. But in honor of his friend, he saved Lot and his family. Every day, every day, we are watching with our own eyes the beginning of what Jesus calls in Matthew 24, birth pangs. We're seeing the beginning of it. The hour is here. Labor pains are coming in shorter and shorter intervals. The question is, are you fearful or are you rejoicing? Jesus said, when you hear these things, lift up your heads, for your day of your redemption is drawing nigh. Well, are you fearful or rejoicing? Life situations can certainly bring about fear. So if you'd like to speak with someone about what you're experiencing, please consider a conversation with a Leading the Way pastor. Start your conversation at ltw.org slash Jesus. 
One very rewarding thing about serving with Leading the Way is the opportunity to read just a few testimonies received from around the world. It's exciting to hear how Dr. Yusuf's teaching and ministry is impacting lives. Recently, we heard the story of a man from Morocco. He shared with the team the following words. My life had no meaning. I tried everything, but to no avail. After contacting Leading the Way, I decided to give my life to the Lord. What an amazing life I now have to look forward to. This person has started discipleship classes with Leading the Way team members to continue growing in his faith. Here's how to learn more of the global impact of Leading the Way. Call 1-300-133-589 or you can visit ltw.org, ltw.org. That's all for today, except for this invitation to listen again next time when Dr. Michael Yusuf once again passionately proclaims uncompromising truth on Leading the Way Audio. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf, passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth around the world. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.